This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. These are some of the sounds of Dublin Airport. You're listening to Gateways, a four-part radio documentary on the airport. Its people, its neighbours, its customers and all those who help make Dublin Airport special. Thank you for listening to this, the third episode of a four-part documentary, Gateways. In this programme, we will speak to those involved with airport policing, the Dublin Airport Authority's sponsored Swords Young Musician of the Year Award and retired airport workers Stephanie Regan and Ray Kennedy. Gateways is presented and produced by Ger Ledden. This is the music of Gary Brennan. Gary is a former winner of the Dublin Airport Authority sponsored Swords Young Musician of the Year Award. Along with Tim Ryan of the North Dublin School of Music, we talk about this competition and the Dublin Airport Authority's sponsorship of not only the, the Swords Young Musician of the Year competition, but similar community projects. started going to the music school whenever I was uh, around four or five years old and uh, every year I competed in the competition and it, every year was like a uh, progression so uh, each year I'd get a bit further in the competition and uh, like I, I began by you know winning the the string category for my age then the overall string category and then in 2010 I actually won the overall competition and that uh that gave me a lot of confidence going forward, you know, because I um I'd play I'd play in school and stuff, but I never really had the the confidence to take it to the next level. So whenever I won the competition, then I got involved in orchestras and stuff like that, and uh, I ended up being able to lead the school orchestra uh, in sixth year, and um, I played in a number of shows like Oliver and Les Mis and West Side Story and stuff like that, and that really all stemmed from playing. In the in the Sergeant musician each year, like, it gives you a great opportunity to play in front of people, especially from a young age. Whenever you know you tend to be nervous and stuff playing in front of people, so um, whenever you're you're there, you get a bit of feedback from the adjudicator as well, 
and that's invaluable because it gives you something to work on especially for your performance and your technique for the next year and then you can come back a year later and progress again you know and it also gives you a great opportunity to make new friends and stuff like that 1986 was when the school of music was set up and i think we had probably 11 maybe 12 people on a committee and we decided that we needed to kind of progress on and get musicians into the north side of Dublin. Uh, there were very few musicians, there were very few teachers. You know, it was just something that was a little bit haphazard. There were private teachers here and there around the city and very few outside of the, the city environs, if you like. So Malahide was pretty strong because there was a, a lot of music going on over there in, in the school. And in actual fact, they had the Malahide Young Musician, I think probably maybe four or five years before we ever started our one. But when we started the School of Music in 1986, we progressed on then for a few years later. And then our first Young Musician of the Year was in 1989. And at that time, it was sponsored by uh, the Arienta, who were the then um, forerunners of the Dublin Airport Authority. And... Uh, we, they have been doing that now for coming up to this year, 2014. It's our 25th year. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's actually, you know, you, you kind of think in terms of um, the amount of money that they put into it. And it might seem like a, a very small amount. Every year you're kind of, you're, you're getting, you know, your trophies and you're paying for, you know, adjudicators and you're paying for the, the higher of a grand piano which is a great opportunity for uh, students to come and actually play in the competition and to actually sit in front of a grand piano that doesn't happen all that often so you have an investment from a company like uh, the airport authority of probably three and a half thousand maybe four thousand but when you spread that now and you think 25 years and you say three three and a half maybe four thousand a year averaging out to 100,000 and that's gone into the community in swords because all of the students who participate in the Young Musician have to be either living in swords or going to school in swords or be from the swords uh, electoral area so you could be learning music in the city but if you're living in swords you're entitled to enter that competition so it just has a swords connection well, I think it is. It's a great uh, opportunity for, for companies, you know, uh, such as Dublin Airport Authority, to contribute to the community because, that you know, most of their employees would be coming from those communities. So, But Dublin Airport Authority are renowned for all the support that they give, you know, right across the community in North Dublin. Uh, they, they support football in, in St. Margaret's. We have the Malahide Young Musician of the Year, as I spoke earlier. They, they have been uh, in existence probably three years more than we have. My name is Stephanie Regan and uh, I worked in Erlingus uh, as cabin crew and indeed as training cabin crew and uh, and then had another role on the ground uh, for a number of years before I uh, left there 
um, as in-house counsellor. I must say I would have uh, some really strong memories, especially, I mean, I would have been, uh, you know, 21 years of age and um, travelling to and from the States a lot. Mm-hmm. And I always remember, you know, sitting beside a, we used to sit mid-cabin for uh, takeoff and landing on, on 707s. And um, so you would always sit beside the, the passengers. And, uh, and I remember sitting beside a man who was a priest and I could see him tearfully looking out over Ireland and as we left and um, and him, you know, just saying, you know, I've said something like, are you OK there? And uh, and he just said, I just know I'll never see it again. So it's this kind of that there's a huge amount of poignancy for people in being with being on the Aer Lingus aircraft, not only leaving Ireland, but people feel the same thing on return. You meet them in New York. They're watery eyed getting on that aircraft when they see you. Uh, maybe less so now because maybe it's become people travel much more now. The Irish travel much more now. They, when they go away, they can come back at the weekend. I mean, I was in Toronto last September and I had a man sitting beside me on the on the aircraft and he was he was coming home for the weekend for a football match. I mean, that's a lot of flying, I know, for a football match, but it does show the difference. The difference is now people trot over and back. But really, 20 years ago, people didn't trot over and back that often. Once every two, three years, they would come over. As somebody who obviously is part of your job, I mean, you you lived and worked in airports. How did you find Dublin Airport? Oh, I think I think there was always something. Well, I think there's something lovely about Dublin Airport. I think there's uh, obviously now it's Terminal Two and it's it's become very, um, it's it's very upbeat. I think it's a lovely building and I think it's something to be proud of. When you come back, you get that sense that we're not a uh, we're a, we're a modern upbeat economy, and I think that that building speaks that. But. When we were in Terminal 1, which would have been a lot of the time when I was working there, it was very nice. SAS were upstairs. I remember looking after the food and there was a great buzz. And there was, I think it comes with the public service element of of the roles people have out there. There was always, people were always sort of nice to each other. There was a sort of a, um, not an obligation to greet each other, but maybe because we were all customer service people you know, on the ground, in the air, that if you went off for lunch, people were always greeting and nice to each other. So people didn't slink off on their own for lunch. You know, there was so there's a nice feeling and everybody's buzzing, coming and going. And um, I I just think there's that nice positivity about the airport. You see, all the airlines are together there on the ground and there's there's a constant crossing over. You you're you're meeting in the same restaurants and there's there was always a real good feeling of family. I mean, when I was in the airport, there was um, 7000 Erling is people. That's a lot of people to know. Do you feel that Dublin Airport has a special place for North Dubliners? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's an enormous amount of the population from the airport uh, spread out all around um, this area, my own area, um, Rohini, Beaumont, Donamede, all of that. Also around Soares and Malahide, maybe even more acutely over there. And um, of course, it's important. And um, it's it's a huge employer. Uh, even when it was all being rebuilt there, look at the amount of uh, employment that was, you know, that was there for everyone. I think w- w- something that's very nice about Dublin Airport, if I may say, that I think um, ha- has been got correctly now is that we have a nice little bit of Irish culture being um, laced through the building. Um, while it has the modern modernness of you know the glass and the scale and all of that and the openness, we have lots of lovely sort of reminders of who we are and where we are and what we come from. I like that.
Time back here on Grant, I'm inspected with the airport police. The airport police on a daily basis would be the primary response agency for any incidents happening at the airport. So that would include incidents of security, uh, medical issues, uh, intoxication, uh, any kind of aggression, uh, disruptive passengers, that type of thing. Just that when you get 25, 30, up to 50,000 people a day <coughs> traveling through an airport, the potential for so many incidents are is quite obviously there. Fundamentally, the role of the airport police is to maintain a safe and functioning airport. So it's important that we keep the people who arrive at the airport, uh, keep them safe and make sure they get through all the security checks and get to their aircraft so they can uh, to their destination. People can get very stressed when they're traveling. Add that to long waiting times, which are possibly spent in a bar. Can you get incidents where people can become abusive to staff, airport staff, can become aggressive, can become a danger to themselves and others? Uh, yeah, I mean, we deployed all our available officers to an incident there last week where a wedding party uh, had become a little bit too intoxicated and the airline wondered if it was prudent to allow them to fly. Mm. So there were some negotiations you know, which the airport police carried out with the airline, with the passengers, uh, to try and resolve that. Um, so, but the potentiality for, you know, serious disruption was there. But the airport police uh, have its own act, yeah. the Air Navigation and Transport Act, and all the laws that we operate under would be governed by that act. So you do have powers of stop, search, detain, arrest. Yeah. As an airport police officer, do you ever take people to court? Do you summons people in the same way as a guard would? No, what we would do is, uh, having arrested the person for whatever the offence the offense has been, we would deliver them forthwith into the custody of Angarda Shiyakana. They would then prosecute, they would take the case, and we would then uh, fulfil the role of uh, a witness. So you do work hand in glove with the Garda? Absolutely. We can't operate without them. 9-11 must have brought about tremendous changes to the role of an airport policing uh, authority. The events of 9-11 unlike any other event that really changed how we do business here, not just as an airport police, but as an airport authority uh, and, and the airlines indeed, uh, even at, at European level, uh, law was brought in to ensure that uh, it should never happen again. Uh, so as a result, it, it certainly made all our training since that date uh, have used the 9-11 as an example of how horribly wrong it can go. So it certainly brings to mind uh, the importance of the role of protecting aviation security. What is the most valuable asset that you would look for in a new recruit? From a policing point of view and from an airport point of view, uh, unlike a city or a town, most of the people at the airport are transient, passing through. So we don't get to know them in the long term, apart from the staff who we would develop relationships with. Uh, so fundamentally we have people coming in, usually in a state of anxiety, usually a little bit confused. Uh, so fundamentally, the role of the airport police is to be a calming, comforting, helpful friend at the airport, to facilitate that person getting to their flight and getting through the airport and using the facilities um, with as little aggra aggravation as possible. Uh, after that, it's all about vigilance. Uh, comp security compliance at the airport is fundamental. So we, ha are, we have must adhere to international, international standards in relation to how we secure and keep the airport safe. Uh, there is a ton of legislation and procedures to, to make that happen. Um, we need to be very aware of that. So safety awareness, vigilance, that type of thing is what we're looking for with a, with a smile and an ability to, to deal well with uh, customers. As a Northsider, do you like, do you enjoy working in the airport? 
Well, I grew up, you know, looking at the airport, a city lit up in the country. Mm. I lived in North County, Dublin, not too far away. And uh, always wondered at how wonderful it looked, yeah. this big, busy, bustling uh, location out in the North County. Uh, I've spent 27 years working here now, and uh, I, would, I wouldn't swap it for any other career. You must have obviously been involved in events like Air Force One landing, President Obama and things like that. Does it give you a, a, a thrill? <laughs> I remember texting my wife saying, I've had the best day in my life. I met Muhammad Ali here, yeah. uh, and I used to do a bit of boxing. And so he was my hero as a child, my father's hero. And uh, I spent 40 minutes with him, and uh, he posed with me for a boxing pose. And I have to picture on my wall at home. Uh, days like that are just incredible. And they can only be, really for me, they can only be uh, experienced at an airport. I, I've met all of my heroes, more or less. Ray Kennedy's career in Dublin Airport mirrors the history of the airport itself. Starting initially as a store person with Aer Lingus in 1964, Ray worked in the airport for more than 20 years, mainly as a design and graphic artist with Aer Lingus. Here, Ray speaks to me on his early days, his retirement and his memories of what was a very interesting working life. I joined Aer Lingus from, almost from school in what was called the production area of the hangars, where they fixed the planes. And uh, I was a technical snowman. That was... That sounds very great, but just spare parts, man. And I would be in, there was three or four stores in the hangars and you'd man that. And as the guys came, the engineers came. So I always had an interest in drawing and painting. So I think it was a great place because you could, you could go to college. So they helped me uh, in the initial stages. And I went to, eventually went to art college and uh, trained as an art teacher and also as a designer. So they were expanding the publicity department and I got a job there. So myself and two other guys were the three designers and we worked there happily away for years. And also we had to keep an eye on on things like if we bought a new aircraft, uh, we had to watch if the colour was right. The aircraft would be Boeing, we built in Boeing, Seattle Mm -hmm. and painted there. But sometimes we wouldn't get it quite right. So you'd have to watch that. So there was three of us and there was photographers and there was people working in advertising. There was a whole little advertising mm. area. It was a wonderful place. I loved it. And and it was it was a grand, grand place to work Aer Lingus at that stage. Because see there was no there was no Johnny Aer Lingus who owned it. Mm. There was no family who owned it. Yeah, yeah. It it was we all owned it. Yeah. And we were all part of it. Uh and it, it, it really I suppose the place when you got into it, why would you leave it? What happened with me then, uh, to bring it on a bit, in 1993, the Gulf War, devastated aviation. People Mm. stopped flying. There's a great uh, tale about a Brigitte was Jumbo coming from New York to London, one person, maybe anecdotal, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, But it just crashed overnight. Did you notice the airport itself getting quieter after the Gulf War? Yes. Less Americans. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, they didn't come at all, you know. And, And... People stopped flying. Stopped flying. It was very dangerous at that stage, we thought. Mm. And uh, suddenly everything changed. Suddenly everything changed. Suddenly, um, like I said, they started to franchise out uh, the technical end. Mm. Start franchise out everything. Because I remember when I joined, your man said, oh, you're, you're lucky. You joined very young. So you'll have the full 40 years. 
I got 25. Mm. And and when the crash came and we were, they gave packages, you know, as they always mm. do these things, and suddenly we were signing a piece of paper and it was that piece, that piece, that said goodbye and you're gone. Mm. And it was over immediately. Yeah, yeah. And from, from being in the centre of this great place, mm. you're now gone. Like people think, you know, you get a big lump sum. It's generally two and a half year salary. And that's what it is. So if you're on 40,000 a year, that's 100,000. Seems great. But that's what it is. Two and a half year salary. Ray, can I bring you back? You mentioned there the Pope's visit. Mm. Obviously, you were there since 1964. Four. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you remember? You would have seen the Pope arrive. Yes. What else? Uh, I just missed Kennedy. He yeah. came in 63. I wasn't there then. Yeah. Uh, I saw a lot of the pop stars. Mm. Uh, I remember uh, walking uh, out of the hangar up towards what we used to call the airport proper to the post office and I, I was walking along with the Bee Gees with the Bee Gees oh, yeah, do you know yeah. I saw huge stars like that you would see them passing through mm. uh, I remember uh, when Diana won the Eurovision and I was uh, we went up to see her coming in you know and I would have seen uh, sports stars huge sports stars mm. coming in so there was always that happening through film stars always coming through and in our job in publicity we had to know about them now, you know the way you see, uh, seeing coming through Dublin Airport, Maureen O'Hara, well, we knew she was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then uh, there's an instance now, I got to, I, I actually got to know her, and I did a, a pro... A of course, Maureen O'Hara's husband was an aviator. He was, yeah, a great yeah. guy, and uh, Charlie Blair. But I did a, uh, an article on her for Car Magazine. And that would have been, I can't remember, she was 67 at the time, now she's in her 90s. Mm. Um, wonderful, tall, striking woman. Got great stories about Hollywood and all this kind of thing. You're in the middle of all this. And of course, if football teams are coming in and football stars coming in and all these sort of things, we're coming through all the time. To take it back to the Pope, mm. that must have yeah. been big. Uh, it was huge. It was yeah. huge. Some of the guys got the trip to go to Rome and come back with him. Oh, and take some photographs yeah. on board. I didn't get that one, uh, but it was great, nevertheless. Like we were working on that for a year before, working on uh, because the papal insignia had to be on the inside of the door and all that kind of thing. It had to be on all the menus and it had to be right. Yeah, uh, and and th- there was a a coterie of of bishops and and cardinals who came with them. They're like PR guys, tough as nails, you know what I mean? Don't step out of line. Mm. And um, I remember a, a little story at one stage. There was like, when the Pope would come out, he'd be surrounded by reporters mm. shouting at him. Mm. And this guy uh, from paper, not in Ireland, kept shouting, hey, Pope, Pope, hey, Pope. And there was a great old PR guy at the airport at the time. And he came out to the next pref con- conference and he said, I have here a fireman's axe. Now, the next time you say that, I'll, this can take 10,000 volts, so I'll cut the wire to your microphone. So you had to do that uh, to protect the guy. But it was a wonderful time. That was, I, I think that was the last, that was the last age of innocence in Ireland. It was so innocent. And people turned out in their thousands to see him at the airport and all over. But when he, when he landed at the airport, we were, I was on, you, you couldn't get near him, obviously, but I was on the ramp. And to see this, this is God. God arriving here yeah, know, yeah, yeah. on our airplane. Yeah. 
My name is uh, Trevor Buckley and I'm a blogger with the Irish Aviation Research Institute. Trevor Buckley is the author and publisher of the industry-respected Irish Aviation Research Institute blog. Trevor has a great interest in and knowledge of all matters concerning the aviation industry in Ireland. I asked Trevor what date in particular stood out for him as being a significant date in Dublin Airport's history and without hesitation he recalled the day the new runway was opened as being a milestone for Dublin Airport. 2nd of June 1989, that was a significant event. Now, why, did, why did they need a new... Because all the runway had reached the limits of its age and the maintenance was getting more and more costly and as aircraft were developing, larger aircraft were coming into service with longer range capability, the runway was too short for its requirements for the new generation of aircraft coming on stream, such as the A330-76s and 747-400s. What advantages has having a second terminal brought to the, the Dublin Airport Authority, do you think? It's given it a huge advantage to develop Dublin as a hub for onward connecting traffic and to grow its uh, long-haul business. What is Terminal 2 used for? What type of flights? Uh, for Mainly for North American flights and for European flights by Aer Lingus and regional UK flights by Air Aaron as well. Uh, and why would an airport have two terminals? Uh, terminals? Because uh, different airlines have different requirements. Some low-cost carriers have totally different requirements that don't use air bridges or that's done. A long-hauler carrier that would require the use of air bridges. More than a 1,000 jobs were lost when aircraft maintenance company SR Technics closed its Dublin operation. I asked Trevor if any companies were carrying out aircraft maintenance operations presently in Dublin Airport. Aircraft SR Technics was an aircraft maintenance company based in Dublin Airport or was originally founded out of uh, Team Aer Lingus, which was later sold to FLS Aerospace, a Danish company, and they later sold it onwards to a uh, Swiss company, SR Technics. Yeah, the company no longer exists in Dublin. And is there any aircraft maintenance company? Yeah, there's two aircraft maintenance companies in Dublin. A new company took over on the 2nd of September 2009 when Dublin Aerospace established taking over elements of the SR Technics business and the second company established uh, AirTech Aviation in aircraft painting established as well so two companies were formed out of the remnants of SR Technics. Trevor Buckley, blogger with the Irish Aviation Institute blog, thank you very very much. You're welcome, thank you. Thank you for listening to Gateways, a four-part documentary on Dublin Airport. Gateways is produced by Ger Ledden and made with assistance from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Fund. Looking at words I'm supposed to be Liking learning when I'm lamenting The faraway hills they've started tilting Post-its won't help the boredom Of the spirit needing to escape from The space of black and white I find inside And I see the mess of notes and sounds my enemy surrounds Where I feel that I am free To be just me
Is there more ahead to define?